Giants, what I'm about. And what I'm about is an old school physical mentality. Okay? We're going to put a product on the field that the people of this city and region will be proud of. Because this team will represent this area. We'll play fast, we'll play downhill, we'll play aggressive. We'll punch you in the nose for 60 minutes, we'll play every play like it has a history and a life of its own with a relentless competitive attitude. Good evening. Welcome to Big Blue Avenue. I'm your host, Tom Scavetta. Join alongside Hank and Dictor. Hank, thank you very much for joining me tonight. A reminder to go check us out on all platforms here on Facebook at Review and Preview Sports or on Instagram at Review and Preview. Also, subscribe to our YouTube channel at Review and Preview Sports. And uh, just a heads up, folks, Bobby Skinner of the Talking Giants podcast will be joining us in just a moment. We are getting him all set backstage and ready to go. Hank, thank you very much for joining me tonight. This is going to be a great game to recap. The Giants, their first ever victory against Russell Wilson, 17-12, to over the Seattle Seahawks, improving to 5-7, and winning their fourth game in a row. Yeah, I'm pretty excited, and I got to say, this is probably the most excited I've been after a Giant victory in who knows how long it, it's it's pretty big and tom as always thanks again for having me i'm really excited to talking about this game with you and our special guest who will be on any minute now bobby skinner yeah and for those of you who don't know bobby he is from florida he is the host of the talking giants podcast with his co-host justin Pennick. they talk all things new york giants we'll have him plug his show once he gets on up here and hank i'm gonna be honest with you this was probably the most significant win that the Giants have had since Super Bowl 46. A lot of people are saying that. So uh, what are your thoughts about that? I thought that was a real interesting stat brought up the other night. I mean, yeah, the Giants have had their share of big, a little bit of big wins. Like I'll say the two games against Dallas in 2016 and maybe a few in 2012 here and there, but yeah, I think between now and between Super Bowl 46, it's it's tough to really make that argument. And it looks like our guest Bobby Skinner is backstage. Uh, we're going to bring him on in just a second once he is ready. Um, and Hank, yep, he's good to go. All right, so let's bring him up. Bobby Skinner, hello. Thank you very much for joining us tonight. Really appreciate your time. Of course. What's going on, fellas? Glad to uh, come on. Good timing after a nice four-game win streak, so everyone's happy. <laughs> yeah, you know, I check out a lot of your content. I know you're a big film guy. I happen to like that a lot. Um, I'm more of an old school Giants fan, but I want to hear a little bit about yourself, Bobby. And uh, first off, can you tell us how Talking Giants got started and what inspired you to, um, you know, just start the podcast as a whole? Yeah, to keep things short, um, me and a friend had started a podcast, where, you know, talking about sports um called so radio just you know just hey like hey it's cool we listen to some podcasts it's a hobby 
did it. And then um, through that, ended up linking up with some people who were like, hey, we want to do some New York stuff. I know you do a lot. Of, you know, you're a Giants fan. You talk about it. That turned into, through all that, ended up meeting up with John Boy, which ended up starting Talking Giants, myself and Danny King, who's still with us, um, started the podcast. And then it just kind of, it grew. Daniel Jones, I have to thank Daniel Jones. He, uh, that draft pick was, you know, a drafting a quarterback is huge for numbers. And we did a lot of work on him and, and, you know, like, you know, breaking his stuff down. So that's where we really gained our initial following. And then it's been, uh, it's been growing since. That's a great story. No, um, I, I really appreciate you sharing that with us. And you're from Florida, correct? Yes. I, I was born in Jersey, you know, my, you know, my, my dad's from Jersey. Um, but we moved down here when I was, you know, you know, two, three years old. But, you know, I obviously uh, stay loyal to the hometown team. Very nice. Uh, so Hank and I have a bunch of questions for you tonight. Let's get started. Uh, you know, you, usually on a normal week, I would start with the offense. But with the way the defense has been playing this year, I think it's about time we start with them. Um, Patrick Graham continues to execute just really good defensive schemes it seems bobby and he forced russell wilson into two turnovers in this game had the interception and the fumble on the aborted snap and you know i got to tell you i was watching the post-game pressers for pete carroll and russell wilson and they didn't have any answers as to why they lost how impressive was this defense yeah and it's it changes every week which is what i love about patrick graham you know i mean i, w- I just went on a rant last night about how like you know, with Greg Williams, it's like, yeah, it's awesome that Greg Williams blitzes and plays aggressive, but when when he doesn't have that personnel, he just does the same things, and his defenses suck. So, yeah, Greg Williams is great when he has all the personnel in the world. Um, Graham plays to his players. I mean, the Seahawks, they were playing everything deep. You'd never seen, the, you know, our defense play, like, that far off. I mean, we, there was times where our safeties were lined up 20, 25 yards off, and then Russell Wilson was, you know, he wants to go deep, and it wasn't there. And then by the time he went to really get down to his checkdowns, because he, he doesn't do it that quickly, he was getting sacked or, you know, having to scramble around. So Patrick Graham, what I love about him is he just changes what he does week to week. He doesn't have a, like, this is a Patrick Graham-style defense. I mean, coming into this year, we expected him to be like a, a blitz-heavy, bump-and-run man coverage, and we don't we basically don't do that at all right now. Yeah, Hank, to me, he seems like that type of guy that just stays up all night and comes up with defensive schemes, try to beat these mobile quarterbacks. And so far, it's been working, Hank. Oh, for sure. And, you know, you want to know something? I actually just saw a tweet not too long before this show started. Someone basically said Patrick Graham is like a borderline genius. I don't see how you can even argue that. He's meticulous in the way he plans his defensive schemes. It's been nothing short of incredible. And, you can tell during that game, Russell Wilson and Pete Carroll, they looked blown away. And for good reason. They, I don't think they expected the Giants defense to be that good, but it was. Yeah, and I've got to tell you guys, uh, Russell Wilson has been sacked in 25 straight games. And a stat I found interesting is that he's 0-4 when he turns it over two-plus times. And one of our keys to the game last week, Hank Giants had to win that turnover battle. They won it 2-1. to one. And the turnover differential the last four games has been just outstanding. It was minus five before the Washington game. And now after this past week, it's plus three. So it just goes to show you how far we come. But uh, 
Bobby, I got to ask you about Jamal Adams. It seemed like the announcers just were absolutely in love with this man. And I don't understand why. And I saw your little rant on that when going over film with that Wayne Gallman run. That was absolutely <laughs> hysterical. I, and I, I am not a TV critic. Like I'm not, I get, they have a hard time. And I like, I feel their pain that like, you know, the announcers, because they're, they're not plugged into, you know, an individual team, they get hate every week. Like, Oh, you you know, you hate our team or, or, they miss one thing um, and people are like, Oh, look at this idiot. It's like, no, it's just no one else has dialed into the team the way we are. So I, I have, I feel for their pain, but Mark Slareth, man, to me, he's just brutal. <laughs> like I, and, uh, and then he came out and supported Colombo a month ago. And it just seems like, I mean, well, it doesn't seem he showed on Twitter that he cannot stand giants fans. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, Jamal Adams is a great player, but it was funny that like he was giving Jamal Adams all the credit in the world for that 60 yard run. And he, It'd be one thing if he had a crazy hawk down. One, he just took a good angle, and he didn't even make the tackle. He whiffed on the tackle. So I don't know what Mark Smith was going off about. Yeah, it seemed like Gallman just, like, juked him out. I mean, he didn't even make a good play. And <laughs> You do that in Madden to somebody, and you're, you know, you're bragging about how you did the little stop step on him. Right. <laughs> but speaking I'll tell you of- what, it was a little bit of retribution for the way he played against us last year when he was with that other New York team. You know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but um, I got to tell you, Bobby and Hank, our defense looked fantastic. Uh, and a lot of these guys are rookies. Nico Lelos, again, Hank, actually, you came up with a fun fact about this guy. Would you want to share what that was? Because it's two weeks in a row the man has been a part of a turnover on defense. Yes, I did. And are you get ready for this one. He is the first Giants rookie with an interception and a fumble recovery in his first two career games as a Giant since – Otto Schnellenbecker in 1950. Is that like Howard Schellenberger's uh, brother? Or, uh, no, 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 no. Different last name. Schellenbecker. Schnellenbecker. Oh, okay. <laughs> no, spelled it wrong. That's crazy. It's like 70 years ago right there. We're talking so, when the Giants played at the Polo Grounds. Yeah. It's, it's and crazy. Steve Owen was our coach, too. It's crazy. You know, it's one thing to, you know, you have the interception and then recover. Like, like, you can play that as random. But what's crazy is he got pulled up. And he was in on the fifth play of the game, you know? So it's not like he's getting five reps and he could just happen to be part of turnover on those five reps. He's gotten called up and he's actually playing like important role. I mean, he's playing more snaps than Cam Brown is. I agree. I mean, you brought up a stat on your uh, Twitter, how he played eight snaps against Cincinnati and all of them were productive snaps. I believe he had a pass deflection too in that game. And it's translated pass deflection. He was having like some good pass rush moves. It was you know, we, we do deep dives on, on the entire undrafted free agent class. We do like that's something we try to pride ourselves on. And we look for the positives in, but the, you, you have the handful of like, okay, these guys could translate to something. And then you have five where you find one good positive thing, but like you, they're probably never going to play. Lalos for me was one of those five, like, okay, like he's probably never going to play type of role. And then now he's, he's being the most impactful of the whole group. He reminds me of Jake Carlock from last year, who I happened to go to school with, by the way. Really? I was a Jake Carlock fanboy yeah. when I was watching his um, Long Island stuff. I was like, this guy, I was like, I get it. it's not against great competition, but he plays like a madman. Like, it's unreal. And then so on our undrafted episode, I was like, I don't know if this guy's ever going to make the team, but I was like, I promise you he's going to make some kind of crazy play in preseason. I was like, I promise you. And then that first preseason game, he had that pick six and then like a sack too. And it was, so I, I was a Jay Carlock. I'm still am a Jay Carlock fanboy. Yeah, I, I, Ron, I, I remember him. you were telling me about him too, like a year ago, and like, like how good he was. And 
And then he had that big play against the Jets, and I'm like, dang, you were right. This guy's good. <laughs> he was just fun. He was just he played like a man. Like you know, you hear like about the linebackers in the high school movies, and that's the way Jake Carlock played, just fast and out of control, and I loved it. Speaking of other young players, though, we got to talk about Tay Crowder, Carter Coughlin, and Kim Brown. More Coughlin and Crowder had a big impact on this game, especially after Blake Martinez left the game with a lower back injury. Coughlin, 73.6 PFF grade. And Tay Crowder, not only did he have his first career sack, he also caused the Darnay Holmes interception with his hands he, uh, on that third and 15 play. His play has just it's elated me, quite frankly. I mean, I think he's probably one of the most important factors on this team right now. He's probably their second-best linebacker behind Blake. Yeah, easily to me. I'm a big fan of Tay Crowder. Um, you just play, And you'll, you'll find out about me quickly that I have a type when it comes to defensive players, fast and aggressive with instincts. Like, I can deal with you. Like, Tay Crowder has some issues in tackling. Sometimes he doesn't take the greatest angles. But if you play fast, aggressive with instincts and don't play scared – like Devontae Downs does, I will, I, I will like you as a player, and that's the way Tate Crowder plays. And he's raw. I mean, he, he, he played, he came into Georgia as a running back, and then moved to a linebacker eventually. I really think, like that guy can, he can be a starter and an impact starter for a long time for the New York Giants. And he's, the, he's the perfect player to put next to a guy like Blake Martinez too. You know what? I gotta say, I love that. I love that Mr. Irrelevant is coming up big for the Giants. And safe to say, they probably should just get rid of that nickname for him. He's been huge. I know he had, but I think he likes it though because he gets his own sign in his hometown, and they, you know, they make a whole big deal about it. So I think he likes it. And I guess he probably likes to think of it as like you know a little chip on his shoulder, so to speak. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, I also got to give a guy like James Bradbury credit—a guy who took a stiff arm to the face from DK Metcalf, even though. Uh, I believe he made the tackle, but he was good. He had two passes defended and a forced fumble along with that one at the end of the game. Uh, Easily a Pro Bowl caliber year. And then I know you're a huge Jabril Peppers fan, Bobby. I know you like that guy a lot. Um, What sticks out to you the most about him in the secondary right now? Even Isaac Yadam had a good game, too. I'm surprised I'm bringing up his name. Yeah, I know. It is crazy from where it started with him and Ballantyne to now. Bradbury's just—he's an All-Pro player, and I, you know, I like the free agency signing. I didn't expect him to be like this good. Um, he's playing at an unreal level, and what Bradbury does is you go up against any team, and there's—he gives you an element of like, hey, we can shut down any team if they're like any team's best player if it's at the wide receiver spot. Like we know we can stop the run with those defense tackles. So now that we have Bradbury, we can stop any team's best. Like I'm not afraid of DeAndre Hopkins this week. Bradbury did well against him last year. Um, and then Peppers, man, he plays that perfect. What James Betcher wanted to do with the running backer is what Peppers is doing with Patrick Graham, where, you know, in the run, he's playing. He doesn't have a gap responsibility. He's, he's just like kind of like a playmaker role. He's going to be pitting coverage, which he's good at. Um, he's, he's a do-it-all linebacker where – or uh, hell, I'm calling him a linebacker because he plays linebacker sometimes. Safety, where like this past week they had him playing deep, and then some weeks they'll have him playing up at defensive end at times. So, yeah, I'm, I'm a big Peppers guy. He's definitely fun to watch. I happen to like him a lot. And it actually it kept Xavier McKinney uh, off the field with the way these secondary guys have been playing. You talk about Isaac Yadam and Julian Love. McKinney only saw, what was it, like five, six snaps? He was barely out there. So. Yeah, and when he was brought out there, it was basically just as a spy. Yeah, hope, I'm hoping that Xavier McKinney over time will get to contribute more to the Giants. But uh, 
Let's talk about another guy who's really been contributing for the Giants. And I would happen to say you can even make the argument he's our best defensive player on the front four. Leonard Williams, like he's got what two head, what two and a half sacks. Do you think he has a chance to be that one guy up front that offenses are going to fear for years to come? I love Leonard Williams, but I don't know if he's, he's one of those like strike fear into you, like some of the dominant edge rushers are or Aaron Donald, but mm-hmm. I think he's right on that next level, you know? Um, and when you have, you know, a, a Dalvin Dexter, you know, as long as they keep both of them, Dexter Lawrence, BJ Hill, Austin Johnson's depth, it can be, it can be a huge piece. And the, I mean, he's been, he's, he has been better this year. There's no doubt about that. But a lot of the times it's just, we have a little bit, we have better coverage on the back end. So it's not, yeah. you know, the whole thing about the summer is like, oh, he almost gets there. He almost gets there. Well, this year he has been getting there because they've been good on the back end. I mean, a play that sticks out last year is he puts this huge hit on Aaron Rodgers. Um, like he gets, like, and it wasn't like a, like, got to them quick, but Aaron Rodgers completes a 40 yard pass because um, Sam Beal isn't looking. So uh, it's, it's been, it's been nice to see him really, like, play to the best of his ability yeah no i feel like we going from the jets to the giants really changed him especially with the coaching staff that must that definitely had something to do with it and yeah i completely agree he's been phenomenal and let's talk about another position that i know you really love to talk about the offensive line as a whole it's been it's improved a lot over the past few weeks how impressed are have you been with like the turnaround of what dave gettleman likes to call the hog mollies yeah, I mean, it's been, it's been, you know, right tackle is Cam Fleming. He's been, he's been up and down all year. Zeitler's always been solid. Gates, I've, I've been a big Gates believer. He struggled in that first game against the Steelers, but, and he's been getting better every week. But I thought he was kind of good to go from the start. I think people are just starting to notice it a little more with him. Um, he had one other bad game against Washington. I can't remember which one it was, but I think he's been solid. Will Hernandez and Shane Lemieux have been solid in that um that left guard rotation. Hernandez is better in pass blocking. Really, the biggest thing has been Andrew Thomas. Andrew Thomas has been the biggest difference. He went from bad to now he's playing awesome. You know, I look at all the rookies every week. The last five weeks, he's been the best out of the group. So, I mean, that's super impressive. And the tight ends have been blocking better. They really have. Like, you know, and this isn't something I expect people to go look through, but a lot of times beginning of the year, it's like, okay, the O-line did a good job, but the tight end stuck. And it's not even just Evan Ingram. Toy Lolo, who's brought in the block, Caden Smith, they would screw up plays and it just gets blo- – or they would bring a wide receiver in and they would screw up the play. So um, the tight ends have been an underrated improvement blocking-wise. Yeah, and, you know, I think the stats pretty much reflect this because he was actually named the Pro Football Focus Team of the Week and he had the highest PFF grade for any rookie t- left tackle in a game this year. And I'll give you another good fact. He has not allowed a single sack in five weeks. What would you say that you attribute to his improvement? I mean, personally, I think it might have had to do with Joe Judge stepping in and telling him, hey, do what you did at Georgia. A little bit of that. Really, it was just protecting his inside. And it, yeah. all, it's, it, can, it just means like basically a half a step on pass plays where you don't leave that open. He's been protecting his inside. And, he's re- and with that, him doing that, the game against the Bucks, I think really – gave him a wake-up call that like hey i'm big enough strong enough and athletic enough to where they can't beat me around the edge like they're not they're not going to just beat me around the edge so i can protect the inside and trust my athleticism to stop them around the edge and you've seen it you could just 
you can tell when a guy is more confident and smoother in the way they're playing. And it, and I mean, it looks night and day from that last from that first Eagles game to this past couple of weeks. I wholeheartedly agree with that. I mean, I've seen a lot of improvement across the whole line with just hand placement. I know Matt Perch struggles a little bit with his uh, feet, but even that's been better. This 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 was his first game with the new coach, and that was like way better than it has been each any week. You know. He's been really good, and I just put this graphic up for a second because I just want to talk about the whole shame on me, Will Hernandez thing, and give people a visual of it because Hernandez was pretty good in the limited action he saw this week, and I know the Giants spent a second-round pick on him two years ago in the draft, but it seems like the line is playing better when Lemieux is out there. Do you think that's part of the reason why Lemieux heavily outsnapped uh, Hernandez, and I believe the count was 42 to 16. I mean, it seems like Joe Judge doesn't really care who starts the game. He's going to use a rotation. And, you know, at first I was kind of like a little, not standoffish about it, but a little hesitant now. I Same. mean, it's really working, and it's working pretty damn well. Yeah, I do not have an answer of why Hernandez is playing less than you, because I think Hernandez is better than Lemieux, and and not by a wide margin, but, like, it's clear to me. A lot of people hate that I say that, but I, I just, you know, I watch it and I do, especially as a pass blocker. It could be a numerous, I mean, it, hell, it could be, he could have a bad attitude behind the scenes. I, you know, it could be he still has a COVID fog. It could be that, hey, they just want to give the rookie more snaps and, and want to give him a chance to grow. I don't know why he's back there behind playing less snaps than Lemieux. Um, I, like you said, I'm trusting the rotation. It's been working, so I'm not going to mess with something that's working well. But I, I don't understand why Hernandez is playing less. Like it, it, it ha- to me, it's just got to be like to me. I don't think it can be that this they think Lemieux is better because I don't. I, I'm, I'm pretty strong in my opinion that he's not. Um, obviously, you know, coaches see us things that we don't see. Might see things in practice. So I don't know why, but I'm not hating on it either. I agree. I mean, yeah, I trust Joe Judge. I trust Googs. I know he has a funky last name, so I try not to tongue twist over that. But um, I'll say it for you, Dugugliamo. Yep. See, I figured that out finally. But my first video on that was like Dugugliamo. Like it was, it was brutal. That was probably the most common I got. Was like, look at this idiot doesn't know how to say his name. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and it translated. This offensive line success has translated into an outstanding running game. We look at what Wayne Gallman's been able to do. He's not a sexy running back, but. Uh, his touchdown streak ended, but he probably had his best game this past week, 135 yards on the ground, including that 60-yard run just flashed among our very own eyes. You know, we were saying, Hank, the previous week, this guy's not a guy who's going to run for 60, 70 yards on a clip. He's a guy that's going to bulldoze down the field, you know, 5 to 10 yards a run. Sometimes it's less, but he gets the chains moving. He keeps the Giants ahead of the sticks and you know, the combination of him and Alfred Morris has been great. Uh, Morris actually had, I believe, it was his first career touchdown reception. Yeah, it was, <laughs> which is surprising because of how much he played in Washington that he never had a receiving touchdown. Yeah, and then um, it was just weird because Colt McCoy and Alfred Morris played together in Washington. Uh, McCoy's last win as a starter, Morris was his back. So that's just insane to think about and – because Morris was out of the league for quite some time. And for the first time since 2010, the Giants have had 100 rushing yards, seven games in a row. And, you know, I mean, I know 
Seattle was okay with the running game. Carson was contained for the most part. But, Bobby, we outrushed them 190 to 111. And now, all of a sudden, we're in the top 10 in rushing yards. How impressive has this been considering no Saquon Barkley? And can they keep it up against a team like Arizona? Yeah, I, I definitely think they can keep it up, man. It, it has been ingre- – I mean, think about how – like, it'd be one thing if, like, this offensive line was doing all right, you know. But think about how that first month, how bad the offensive – how bad the run blocking was, whether it's, you know, offensive line and tight ends included. I mean, it was it was, it was was putrid. It was horrible. We couldn't get anything going. And now it's like, okay, this is kind of like a, a strength right now. So the turnover has been nuts. And, I mean – and it's hard to really pinpoint what it's been besides them just working better as a unit. Cause like even through Thomas's struggles, he was a good run blocker. Um, it just seems like, you know, they were always like one mistake away and throughout the season, they've gotten better. I, and I get that O-line gels as the season goes along. And, and I think the offensive line spot is what was hurt the most by no having no preseason. But even that, like to go from horrible to good, is kind of weird, you know, where usually you would see think them to go horrible to average. That's an interesting way to put it. I mean, I, I do agree with that. I think they've overall, the team has just looked so much better. I mean, I get it. See, it's starting to seem like Colombo was part of the problem. I don't like to assume, but Joe judge again, you know, something went wrong and Joe judge fixed it. And now the giants are doing a whole lot better in their rushing attacks. And, Let's get to Colt McCoy because this was a guy who coming in, I knew one person that picked the Giants to win this game. One person out of like hundreds of people that made predictions on this game, uh, at least that I knew personally, like one person picked them in. Colt McCoy was serviceable. He kept the Giants in the game, gave us a chance to win. He didn't lose us the game. He was nothing special. But it's just funny because two of his eight career victories have come against Seattle I thought he did enough to give us a chance to win that's really all you could ask for no yeah I mean the offense wasn't good like I like I'm they had two good drives where they ran the ball besides that they're abysmal mm-hmm. um I think his best play was and I put a clip out of it earlier was there was a play that should have been a pick six and Colt McCoy was hesitant and he pulled the ball back and it was a third down and it was an incompletion but that ball should have been a pick six. So that was kind of like, that's what Colt McCoy is brought in to do is not make those back-breaking mistakes, even though he did have an interception. But, you know, it came off the hands of Ingram. Um, so he, he did enough. But I'm also on the boat that, like, you know, if Seattle scored on that final drive, the defense still would have had a really good game. And I don't think we're really talking much about how the offense played well, you know. Kept them off the field for a few minutes late, as long as they could, like a four-minute drive. So, yeah, I mean, that, that was actually impressive. I thought that was like the best the offense, like obviously, you know, the running plays, but passing wise, I thought that was the best where it's like you just had those one, two pass plays, one to Slayton. There's another one in there where they did enough to, like you said, I, I think that might have ended up being the longest drive they had too. Yeah, I think that sounds about right. Now, of course, we talked about Colt McCoy and his serviceable forms, but obviously we got to talk about the main quarterback on the team, Daniel Jones. And I want to ask you this. Has your confidence in Daniel Jones improved the more we've seen him at all? Well, I've I've always been a Daniel Jones guy. That Tampa Bay game, I had never felt lower about him. I was just like, yeah, it seemed like everything happened at one time. Uh, but, yeah, it, it's definitely, you know, I, I'm not a big fan of Jason Garrett. Like, And I know that we're winning right now, but I just, 
I don't believe in his philosophies. That being said, Jones has been figuring it out more and more. And he, you've been seeing him more audibly, and that's where the big plays have come from. Um, and in the quicker concepts, you see sometimes he's a little more hesitant. I don't blame him on that because being decisive in those quick concepts has led to turnover. So he's been a little more hesitant um, when it's there, it's there. But he's been really good, especially on third down. Like the last, I think the last six weeks, he's completed 77% of his passes on uh, on third down. Now, it doesn't mean you converted all of them, but nonetheless, convert 77%. And the only turnover was that first Eagles game where the ball went, you know, another ball off Ingram's hands. Um, so, yeah, he's definitely been getting it down and getting better at it. Uh, I still think there's there's a lot more to be desired from the offense. But in the constructs of the offense, yes, I think he's been improving steadily week by week. Now, Joe Judge said that he does not have any any answer for Daniel Jones. As in, like, he doesn't know when he's going to play, if or whether or not he's going to play. What do you think? Do you, do you see him playing this Sunday at all? I'd be blown away if he doesn't. You know, Jordan Ronan came out with a, you know, saying, like, it's, it's expected – I, I would be blown away. I mean, he practiced in full, t- or not in full today, but he practiced today. He was taking snaps from Nick Gates. I would be blown away if Daniel Jones doesn't play Sunday. I feel like Joe Judge, and this might be a crazy little take, but I feel like he's not being decisive because he doesn't want the Cardinals to know who they're going to be facing. I don't know. I agree with you 100%. There's no reason for him. Yeah, there's no reason for him to, t- you know, the, to give him the for sure. But I bet you the Cardinals are probably prepping for Jones anyways. And not to interject here, I just want to make one point off of Bobby's comment on Jason Garrett. Perfect example of what you're talking about is that third down pass to C.J. Board where they didn't throw it across the sticks. They're throwing like a little screen pass. It just made no sense. Yeah. I mean, if, that, was not a, that was probably my least favorite play call of the game. for the Even Giants. the Ingram interception. It's like, okay, even if that works, which I don't like, the, like you're still two yards short of the anyways. And you had Darius Slayton on a one-on-one with no safety over the top. Like, it's like, well, if you're not going to throw it to the sticks, why don't you – like I, I don't know, I it just it. I, I'm not. I hate to rail on it because we're winning right now. I'm a. I'm, I like. I try to be a positive person, so there's no point in me railing against you know a coach when we're winning four in a row. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I'm. I'm with you. There's. I just don't like the like the the overall philosophy of the offense. Like I don't care about them running a lot. It's just when they do pass. It's I, I'm not a big fan of what they're doing. Right. Yeah. No. I totally. I totally agree with you on that. And speaking of Evan Engram, he's been. Jekyll and Hyde, basically. You'll you'll see him make those big catches, but then obviously, of course, you'll have those moments where you're like, oh, dang it, and you have those critical drops. And he's also not the best blocker on the team. I'm going to be blunt about that right now. Right. Um, but would you say he's still a guy that's important to the Giants for years to come at all, by any chance? For years to come? I don't know. For this year, he's extremely important. Um, yeah. But like you said, man, it's – I don't even get like I don't get mad at him anymore because it's just like yeah. this is this happens. He's an up and down player. He has these turnovers. Um, I mean, he's had two you know two fumbles. One was credit to Jones in that 49ers game on the reverse. Um, like five, I think like five or six interceptions have been off of you know his hands. I mean, think about the interceptions this year. There's one against Philly that came off his hands um, this past week. The Bears game, uh, and I know I know there's I know there's others too, <laughs> and it's just been. So frustrating, but then you see him go against the Bengals and have you know 140 yards and two deep balls, and we probably don't win the game without those two plays. So he's such an up and down player um, that I, I I can't I don't know if he's going to be long term. 
they seem to like him though. So maybe, uh, maybe he is. Yeah. It, you know, it seems to me like he seems to do better when things are harder than easy. I don't know about you. That's just a random it's when he's thing. thinking when he, when he can't think and he has to make this acrobatic catch where it's, it's that when he has to think about it is where he screws himself like that. You know, the first Eagles game, he catches yep. that ball. We win the game. He, he allergated his arm thinking about it too much and doesn't. And we end up losing. He, when he has to think is when he is his own worst enemy. That's a great point. It's Very a shame because athletically he's a top five tight end in this league. He's, he can probably do things that some wide receivers can't, quite yeah. frankly. So it's frustrating. And it's not like he's – it'd be one thing if he was like a, you know, a bad attitude, not a great work ethic guy. From what – you know, he always seems to be have like a – like he's always seemed to buy in. He's never seemed to be in an issue. I've, I feel bad for him, you know. It's, like not, it's not like he's trying to drop him drop passes or, or have fumble. I feel bad for him. I mean, and sometimes you see it in his face, man. He's just totally dejected. Now you finish the season off strong and it's, it's totally different. But if he does have some of the same issues going forward and we, you know, say we don't make the playoffs or anything, he's, he's the kind of guy that probably just needs a change of scenery, you know? Yeah, I can somehow see that. That's very possible. And I'll tell you, didn't he, wasn't he the leading receiver in the game with what was like four catch and 32? Cause I know Shep, uh, Shepard and Slayton were pretty quiet. Yeah. They both had one catch. Yeah. He was 32. Yeah. 32 yards was our leading receiver. Cause Tate had 30. So 32 yards won. was our, our leading receiver on Sunday. And we still won. And I think part of that's due to just coaching and overall management of this team. I mean, yeah. I'm personally a Joe judge guy. I like him. I love his philosophies and how he pretty much plays everybody. Guys, and I think the one thing about him is he utilizes players' strengths from the roster top to bottom. He doesn't care if you're guy number one or guy number 53. You're going to play. And I just think that's something that speaks volumes. What's impressed you, Bobby, uh, the most about him and how he continues to prove the media wrong? It's his attention to detail and his he's just strong. I mean, the Mark Colombo situation really – because I, I like Judge, but I wasn't sold on him. Mm-hmm. And I still, I guess you could, like, can't say I'm not 100% sold. But went from, like, being favorable towards him to, like, okay, I really like this guy. Was how he handled that Mark Colombo situation and not being afraid to do it and, and not being afraid to jump in and, and work with the O-line himself. Um, and, this, and, like, I guarantee you it was, you know, uh, DeGuglielmo. He was the one telling him the things to change. So, you know, it wasn't like Joe Judge became an O-line expert overnight. I guarantee you he was, you know. Saying like, "Hey, watch this film. Tell me what to say. Tell me, tell me what we need to fix." And I bet you that's what he was doing. So that made me really believe, like, okay, this guy really is that CEO type, you know that you know that uh, that Belichick, Coughlin, Parcells type, where it's um, they're not just you know calling plays on one side of the ball and ignoring the other. Um, so that's what makes me really like him. Because before that, honestly, I was of the mindset of. If they fire Gettleman, I don't care if I don't care what the new GM does. I don't care if the new GM fire, you know, brings in his own coach. What? Now I'm at the point where it's like, man, I would it would hurt to see Judge go, but I, you know, I, I don't. I'm pretty confident that's not happening at this point. Yeah, no, and it's it's interesting that you mentioned Gettleman because I'll be one of the first to admit I have not always agreed with a good amount, a good chunk of his decisions. In fact, I thought he probably I wanted him fired after the end of the last year. Then. Reasonably so, because it had been so many losing years and, you know, questionable decisions. But, you know, you also have – I feel like we got to start giving him a bit of credit with the way this team has turned around because he had an excellent draft. And, Bobby, what would you say is the decision that he made that stands out to you the most? 
from this off season or just for his whole time here? Um, I would say a little bit of both. From this off season, man, I would say like Bradbury was a great signing, but like I don't think it, it was like it wasn't anything. It wasn't like a ballsy signing. Like it was free agent corners. It was Byron Jones and then James Bradbury. So I don't view that as crazy. Blake Martinez. A lot of people hated on that. A lot of people hated on the Blake Martinez signing, and that has seemed to really go well. Um, he fits perfectly what Patrick Graham is doing. Um, so I, I would pro- I would go Blake Martinez. Um, but in overall for his career, man, having the stones to take Daniel Jones, I'm a big. I I could never stand Haskins, but the, having the you know the ability to believe in Jones and take all that hate. Um, and like I said, Jones is is far from you know from establishing himself as a franchise QB, but I like his project uh, trajectory. I think he's going to be the guy. Um, so, and I guess that's kind of is the cop out answer. Just, you know, QB always is the one that stands out. Love it. Absolutely yeah, no, I, I think that. that makes a lot of sense. I personally, I agree with you about Bradbury and Blake Martinez. Those were pretty decent signings. I know they weren't necessarily like blowing you away signings, but, I think really what stood out to me isn't really just that. I think the draft, like Andrew Thomas was a need. I know a lot of giant fans probably wanted Isaiah Simmons and I could probably put myself into that group because we need linebacker help for a while. I was a Thomas fanboy, and I was feeling really bad to start the year where I was like, man, like I was very confident of like this guy's better than Beckton. He's better than Wills. And uh, so he's made me feel better the last few weeks. But yeah, with that having been said, I totally – you did not get one complaint from me when they selected Andrew, Andrew Thomas. That was a need. They needed a, a left tackle in the worst way possible. And even the later draft picks, they've all, like, had their fair share of big moments during this win streak. Again, got to give Gabe Goldman some credit for that. Yeah. Yeah, he's been – even before this draft class, if you look at, like, there's, like – someone did an article about about, like, draft hits – and they were like, Gettleman's kind of like the best drafter. Like he hits the most in the late rounds. He, not to say he hasn't had his fair share of screw ups. Oh, sure. It's like late round wise, he hits better than like anybody. And this year, man, I mean, you got crowd, you know, Crowder and Coffin from the seventh round. Um, my my biggest gripe with him for this draft was that he drafted T.J. Brunson over over Tay Crowder. Because once I watched Tay Crowder, I was like, I, I would have liked to take this guy in the fourth round. Um, but then you know, Cam Brown, who's developmentary, Shane Lemieux, who's been starting. And Darnay Holmes, I really think, is the most underrated pick and signing for the Giants. Think about how much nickel corner has plagued us and how hard it is to do that. And he's come in and been a very solid nickel corner where, like, I was saying this with Justin the other day. It's like, I don't think we talk enough about how we may have our nickel corner for the long term, for the long haul here, which is crazy that that happened in the fourth round and it's giving, you know, paying dividends immediately. Right, totally. And obviously, let's talk about special teams. We all know Graham Gano has been, as Lance Meadow described, a weapon. 25 straight field goals, amazing, absolute money. However, they've had their fair share of bad moments. We know the Bengals game, they weren't great. Seattle game, they were better, but they still had a few bad ones, like the block punt in the end zone, which really could have been a game changer. Do you? Th- what do you think about this? What's your take? Do you, are you worried about it going forward? I mean, I definitely want to be better. I've always been a I don't care about special teams guy. Not that it's not important. But I just I like don't even watch the TV when special teams are happening. When special teams special teams like all right, I need to fix or you know take care of this or something. Um, like even I love the Joe Judge report. I always skip the special teams portion. I and that's why I hate special teams players. I hate players who are like oh he's brought in to be special teams. Like bring me in someone who could be a good depth piece 
and can also play special teams. I don't want Nate Ebner. I want, you know, I want I want Michael Thomas. I want a safe, a real right. safety who can play special teams. Um, so obviously you don't want a kick return, a blonk putt and stuff, but I have nothing to point to and be like, this, it needs to be fixed. Like, it's just, I hope it gets better. I like that point a lot. Um, and I think it needs to improve over the next few weeks because it was pretty good to start the year, but, um, heading into Arizona quickly here, the giants devised an outstanding game plan last week, I thought, and they face a similar task as far as the type of quarterback that they're playing. Murray obviously runs more than Wilson does. With that being said, what would you say are just a couple of your keys for the giants to beat the Cardinals on Sunday? Bradbury has to shut, not shut down, but can keep Hopkins in control. And then I think there's, I think you got it like a good chance if you could do that. I mean, no one else on that team really like scares you. Like Kirk is good, but I don't, Kirk doesn't scare me. And it's really keeping Kyler's legs in check, which the past few weeks he hasn't been like running the ball at all. He has like 60 yards over the last three weeks. And this is a guy who had like 700 over the first nine weeks. Um, so he's dealing with a little bit of shoulder injury. I don't know if that's stopping him. Um, so really, it's just keeping Hopkins in check and then stopping the outside run. They killed us with that last year, stopping the outside run. That's how the Cardinals gashed us. And then obviously on offense, big plays, man. You got you can't have a successful offense continually without big plays. Take shots, take chances. I don't care about time of possession. Yes, continue to run the ball. Run the ball a lot. I love it. But when you are passing – Take chances because that's how you score points. I mean, I, I I think I might at the end of the year go through every score touchdown drive that wasn't you know that wasn't off a turnover in the other team's possession and be like and and just be like okay see big play this time big play this time because very rarely do you just dink and dunk your way down. Usually those drives end up in field goals or turnovers. That's a good point too. Uh, it's going to be tough. I mean, I think the Giants again. I mean, I I think they have a really good shot at winning this week, but. You know, you've seen these blitzes that they've disguised. And what Graham will do is he'll have a guy spy, whether it's it was Carter Coughlin a couple times, Jabal Sheard, where they'll just seal off the edge but not rush the quarterback. They'll kind of stay back and kind of like wait to see if Russ makes a move. Yeah. And I think that really helped us on Sunday. Uh, and that win proved to be a lot more important than people were making it out to be, Hank. Yeah, I would agree. And, you know, speaking of that, obviously we know how big this one was, but Washington had a pretty good one too. And would you say that with those wins in mind that the NFC East has probably gained some more respectability? I mean, we, we could very well see two playoff teams, believe it or not. That's and crazy. That <laughs> like we three or four of the season. That is nuts. My my brother's actually a Washington fan. Don't ask me how I ended up being a Washington fan, but he is. <laughs> um and it's like, could you, could you imagine after all the trash the entire world spent talking about the NFC East if we ended up with two playoff teams? No, I don't think that's going to happen. But it would right. be like the hilarity of of the NFL with this. It would be it'd be a real shot at the seventh wall, seventh uh, playoff spot. Uh, but yeah, man. I mean, like you said, like you uh, like you said, Tom. People didn't think it was that important to beat Seattle. Well, it definitely is because of that win, like against Washington. It's any given Sunday for those teams as well, too. Um, so without that win, you know, we're not talking about how, you know, we lost to a better team. We're talking about how we're not going to make the playoffs now. So, Bobby, two more questions before we let you go here. Uh, do the Giants win the NFC East? Because right now Washington is kind of scary. We were plus five 
in the turnover department against them in that category in our last meeting. And we only won by three. This is back in week nine. So, you know, that definitely is, I mean, the head to head wise, that's a little scary, but you know, right now both teams have a good amount of momentum. Yeah. They have an easier schedule, but I, I, I still think the giants are going to win it. I think they're going to win one of these next three games. And then uh, I, I think they'll definitely beat Dallas. And I, I'm not worried about Washington. I, you know, we, like you, you mentioned the turnover battle and that last game, but like, we kneeled down after the interception in the first half, and then we finished the game with two, where one was, you know, we didn't, you know, we were just trying to run the clock out, and then they had another interception, and then we kneeled down. So we, you know, basically weren't even trying to score after three of those five turnovers. Um, so I, I mean, I, I'm not like through the roof of confidence that we're going to win the NFC East, but I definitely think we will. I think there's definitely well above fifty percent chance with the and. I mean, I just I like Joe Judge. I like what he's been doing, but you know, it is a little concerning. Blake Martinez did leave the game with that back injury, as we mentioned earlier. And Logan Ryan stated this week that he would be the signal caller on defense if Martinez misses the game. The signs seem encouraging for Blake, but do you expect him to play on Sunday? And if he doesn't, would you expect a guy like Ryan to step up? Yeah, I mean, if he doesn't, definitely Ryan would have to be someone to step up. And uh, but I expect him to play. I just hope he's able to play well because, like I said before, stopping that outside run, he is the main proponent of that. Um, and if he's not playing at full speed, you know that that could be the difference between winning and losing in this game, or or having a good game defensively or not having a good game defensively. So he is so huge for this defense, um, and I think more so this week than they, than he would be any on other weeks. I think it demonstrates how important Tay Crowder is to this team. I mean, a lot of people were mad when they didn't keep Ryan Connolly on cutdown day, but uh, you know, the Tate Crowder uh, you know, addition turned out to be really key because he could be linebacker number one yeah. on Sunday and you might see a Mayo Downs type of uh rotation. But we actually have uh if you don't mind just one question here from my buddy James speaking of the left tackle position, what do you do when if well should say if Nate Solder comes back next season. Caught him. There's no reason if you're if you got paired, there's no reason to bring him back. I think you save ten mil uh, if you cut him after a certain date, and we're going to need the cap space anyways. Um, there's no reason to bring Nate Solder back. I, I think he's a great he's a great guy. I hate talking bad about his play because of how like what his family goes through. But mm-hmm. one, he's too he's expensive anyways, and two, he's just not he's just not good. So there's for me, there's no way I'm bringing Solder back. That's a great point. Um, I yeah, he saves us a lot of money. I, I would definitely consider that. Um, but Bobby, uh, any anything else you would like to add or give yourself a couple social media plugs for your podcast where people can find you? No, I appreciate you guys having me on. Let me know anytime. Um, uh, if if you're an Instagram guy, just go at Talking Giants. It's no, it's not Talking Giants. It's Talking Giants. Um, Facebook the same. And then uh, Twitter is obviously, you know, at Bobby Skinner underscore um, YouTube talking giants, you know, search talking giants or Bobby Skinner and you'll probably, yeah, I'll, I'll probably pop up. So that's yeah. where you uh, can find us. You guys are on Facebook too. I'll, I'll keep that uh, in the back. Of my, I'm subscribed to you guys on Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube, but um, yeah, we're looking to do more of these types of podcasts and do some collaboration with a lot of our, you know, favorite YouTube personalities. So I think Hank feels the same way. We really appreciate you coming on and 
Go Giants, man. We got to find a way to keep stacking these wins, baby. Stacking wins. I love it. Glad you got, glad to come on with you guys. Absolutely. Thank you, Bobby. See you guys. Take care. Thanks, Bobby. That was Bobby Skinner, the host of the Talking Giants podcast. And you can watch that on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays when it airs on YouTube, Twitter, or Instagram. Make sure to go give him a follow. Check him out. And remember to subscribe to our YouTube channel at Review and Preview Sports. Hank, another great guest, joins our show. And let's move on to we're going to take a look at the film, folks. And you know, we're going to go back to recapping this game for just a moment because there's a lot of moving parts about this game, Hank. And if you want, I'll start with the first half tonight and you can take the second. But it was a it was really a strange game. Now, we actually watched this game together up in Stanford. That was a good time. And um, yeah, on, awesome. But as I was driving up, I was listening to the game on the radio during the first quarter. And on that first drive, look. Seattle's Seattle was an eight and three football team on the first drive. The Giants defense looked like they were toast. They were going to have their hands full. Seattle drove 57 yards, star 13 yard line. And then from there, the defense would force not one, not two, but three straight incomplete passes and force the Seahawks to kick a Jason Myers field goal, putting them up three to nothing. And, you know, Hank, I was really concerned on this drive because Chris Carson looked good. He had two 11 yard runs and then, the 24-yard pass to Lockett. But then in the red zone, we saw Jabril Peppers with a pre, uh, with a pass breakup and then Isaac Yadam as well, who, quite frankly, I'm okay with as our number two corner, at least for the rest of this season. I don't want him back next year as a number two corner, but I'm okay with him for these last four games if Ryan Lewis can't come back. Yeah, he's actually been per- he's actually gotten better, and he made a big play in the Bengal game, game last week too, did he not? He did. He, he's been all over the field. I mean, he had four tackles in this game, and he was very impressive. We talked about Tay Crowder earlier, had a sack on Russell Wilson on a later drive, where Pat Graham, again, did an excellent job disguising a blitz. I feel like we say that every episode, Hank. Uh, but then the Giants would get the ball back and make their first sizable type of drive where they went 68 yards on 11 plays down to the Seahawks' 17-yard line, and they wouldn't come away with any points. Colt McCoy threw past Evan Ingram that bounced out of his hands and into the hands of Quandre Diggs. Forward interception, he'd return it up the right sideline. And it was frustrating because Colt McCoy looked sharp on that drive. He had a 22-yard pass to Shepard, who was his only catch of the game, and then a 16-yard strike to Golden Tate. So it looked like the Giants were going to score. But unfortunately for the Giants, the turnover didn't result in any points as Seattle would have to punt. Again, the defense bailed out the offense. So following another Giants punt, the Seahawks would get the ball back and they would take it to our 47. So they're on our side of the 50. And Hank, on third and one, I'd put my money on Seattle on converting third and one at midfield. But absolutely. This team just looked really, really bad. I don't know if, I mean, the Giants, obviously, they won the trenches on both ends, but Russell Wilson fumbles an aborted snap on a third and one where Nico Lalos would crawl up on it in a fetal position to recover the Giants fumble. Nico Lalos has been extremely important to this team, and he played 36% of the snaps on Sunday after seeing only eight in the Cincinnati game. However, 
the Giants were unable to cash in on their opportunity as they went three and out. Again, we just talked about this with Bobby Skinner before. Colt McCoy throws a negative two-yard screen pass to C.J. Board. you got to go four or five yards on third down. Why not throw it negative two yards? However, there is a lot of positive to take from this game. We're almost through the negative because the first half was pretty negative for the Giants as they did not score any points. After forcing a Seattle punt, the Giants would get the ball back one more time in the half. Not only did they go three and out, but inside their own 10-yard line, Riley Dixon's punt was blocked by Ryan Neal, and the ball rolled into the end zone. However, the Giants would catch a break as Penny Hart recovered the ball out of bounds. So Seattle, instead of potentially going up 10-0, they only went up 5-0. And I kind of want to break down this play and go through with you folks as to who missed their assignment and what exactly happened. So I'm going to get it up, and here we go. So as you can see, there's Nate Ebner, number 43, who is the one guy in front of Riley Dixon. So we'll watch this one more time in slow motion. 55, David Mayo, 52, Devontae down. Somebody missed the block, and Ebner can't block two guys. So that's exactly why that punt was blocked. Seattle had one extra man, and Hart recovers it. So, And Nate Ebner just... Quite frankly, Nate Ebner is our best special teams player outside of Gano, in my opinion. But he did not look good on that play. Something went wrong with with the protection scheme, Hank. And luckily, uh, the Giants were able to somehow keep the score five nothing going into the half after the safety punt by Dixon. And it was the first time, I believe, a little bit of scoring. This was the first 5 nothing halftime score since 2013 and the first time such a score happened in Giants history, Hankin. I'm going to pass the baton to you for the second half because this is where action begins to... Yeah, and before we do, I just want to say, I think that that ball going out of bounds was kind of the game changer. It's not something that I feel like people talk about, but when you really think about it, 10 nothing and 5 nothing, that's a big difference. And... Who, who knows how the Giants would have played, like, ha- had they been down 10? Who knows if the run game would have worked? So I think that was an extremely fortunate bounce for the Giants. And you know what? I somehow felt okay about their chances going into the half. I don't know about you. But anyways, as we get into the second half, Giants and the Seahawks would exchange punch in each of their first possessions. But when Big Blue got the ball back, that was when they would finally come alive. Wayne Gallman exploded a big 60-yard run and – why don't we show the replay? Because that was probably the other game changer, not not so long after that block punt. See? Yes, Wayne Goldman breaking out, longest run of his career. Did not have to look up the stat sheet for this one. So here's a look at a Wayne train. There's the formation. McCoy hands off. And first off, look at Zeitler and Fleming, folks. Those are the first two players we're going to look at. As you can see, Goldman running in. Here's Jamal Adams. Ooh. Here it is again in slow motion. Look at Gates get to the second level. Caden Smith, Levine Toilolo, Andrew Thomas, everyone picking up their man. And here's a look at the juke on Jamal Adams now. There it is. <laughs> One more time, you can see it here. Toilolo seals his man, and Gallman has a full head of steam to run. You can see Lemieux picking up his block nicely, follows the hole. It's his stride for a 60-yard dash. 
Hank. Beautiful. Amazing. The block, the blocking was great. And Gallman finding an open lane to run. Amazing. And the best part about it, of course, though, wasn't just all that, like we just mentioned, it led to two runs from Alfred Morris. Thir- first one for 13 yards, and the latter was the four-yard touchdown and that would uh, give give the Giants the lead. And they would also successfully convert a two-point conversion on what was a beautiful pass from Colt McCoy to Sterling Shepard. Giants would be up 8-5, to five, and I'll tell you what, I'm going off a little bit of tangent here. I just want to say I actually love the decision to go for two on that. I know we probably were thinking, oh, let's kick the extra point to be safe, but you know what? Joe Judge was thinking, this is the Seahawks. This is a big game. Sometimes you just have to take risks, and I, I, I like that thinking. I do like that thinking as well. We were sitting together, and I'm like, Hank, they should just kick the extra point. They shouldn't go for two here, but they did, and that momentum helped their offense. Yeah, definitely. And I would have to say that another big thing that happened, Seattle's next drive, they would get to their own 48-yard what was it? 48 yard line. They'd face a fourth and one, but Russell Wilson's pass attempt to Chris Carson was deflected by Isaac Yadam. Seahawks turned it on over on downs. And then not only that, the giants actually capitalized on great field position. They, they scored on a touchdown. It was their second straight drive. Wayne Gallman, again, set this up 13 and 23 yard runs. And again, another great pass Colt McCoy to Alfred Morris. And as we mentioned, that was his first career touchdown reception, which, is really hard to believe when you consider all the years he played for Washington. He was a key contributor there. And then, of course, you had the uncharacteristic PAT miss from Graham Gano. It was so it was 14 to 5 Giants. First play of the fourth quarter. Seattle had the ball for only one play. Russell Wilson would throw an interception to Darnay Holmes, who he had an interesting game himself. You know, he obviously would have another key play that we'll we'll get to later, but that interception was another very important moment. And Giants would end up getting great field positions. Tay Crowder did a lot that helped make this play possible. And, Tom, let's uh, watch the film and talk about it, shall we? Yeah, let's break it down. So Giants here have a four-man rush. You can see Tomlinson and Johnson get their hands up, and there it is at full speed. Crowder deflects it. Holmes with a nice scoop for that interception. And Tay Crowder did a nice job closing in, and <laughs> there's the celebration for the defense. All those guys coming in. But yeah, that was um, that was a fun play to watch. I mean, Tate Crowder just right place, right time, just gets his fin up, and that's the ball. And Darnay Holmes again, rookie to rookie. I, I'm going to tell you one thing about these rookies, and we'll continue in just a moment. But this rookie class is probably the most important rookie class since 2007. They are in games. A lot of these guys are starting, and I'm just overall very impressed. Not to mention, three of them are starting on the O line. Yeah, no, it's been great. And I would even put 2005 up there because we had at least three three Super Bowl contributors in that draft as well. But, yeah, you're right. I, I would say it's been huge. And, again, I can't believe I'm saying this. Less than a year after I was saying that he probably should be getting the ax after that season. But, again, got to give Dave Gelden some credit. Like, picking guys later on under the radar, and I'll even include Nico Lalos and Tay Crowder there, that's not as easy as people would think. No, and Bobby just mentioned that he was bashing him for taking T.J. Brunson ahead of uh, Tate Crowder. That was probably the one swing and miss in that set. Uh, actually, no, there were two swing and misses in the seventh round. They had four seventh-round picks, and I think Coughlin and Crowder were two excellent picks. Brunson, 
and Williamson didn't pan out. Williamson's no longer with the team. We terminated his contract. We waived him from the practice squad, but I believe Brunson is still on the practice squad. So we'll see if something comes of it. The big part of that, of that interception was that would lead to points because the giants were able to get a field goal, 48 yards from Graham Cano. But did you really think this game was over? If you did, yeah, right. No, you didn't. The giant, the Seattle would not go down quietly. Russell Wilson has the ball. They drive into giants territory. They're faced with a third and 15, but although Russell Wilson threw an incomplete pass, the key play that really hurt them was Darnay Holmes being penalized for holding. And as much as we loved what Darnay Holmes has been doing, he's been prone to some of those bad penalties. And so obviously it gave Seattle new life and Russell Wilson immediately threw a 28 yard touchdown pass to Chris Carson to make it 17, 12. And yeah, I don't know about you. That was when I was starting to get pretty nervous because as great as the giants were playing, giving Russell Wilson a second chance almost never ends well, but you were nervous. All right. Oh yeah. You're, you're not kidding. Giants would get the ball back with 609. You know, I felt a little bit better about that drive because they would milk about like four, four minutes, 15 seconds off the clock, but they're only able to get the Seattle 42 yard line. So they would have to put the ball back, giving it to Russell Wilson with a minute and 55. And yeah, that, that doesn't make me very confident. Russell Wilson ball back. We've seen what he's capable of doing. I mean, after all, remember we talked about this guy as an MVP candidate for the first half of the season, but you know what? You got to give the Giants defense a lot of credit. The Seahawks would take the ball to the Giants 46 yard line but after two incomplete passes and a huge sack by Leonard Williams. They were faced with a fourth and 18 with the game on the line. And not, and before before we talk about that last play, let's let's show the Leonard Williams sack. Yeah, so this was my favorite play of the game because it put Seattle in a predicament fourth and 18 and uh this play again is just showing you why Leonard Williams was such an excellent player to bring in that Dave Gettleman found from the Jets. So here's Leonard Will. We will show this play here. Leonard Williams, you see Carter Coughlin, 49 there, coming in for the blitz in the middle. Backs up, you see, so Wilson can't run. And Will gets some nice pressure. A little stunt move as Tomlinson takes the outside. Williams cuts in. Jabal Sheard seals the edge. Five total sacks on the day for the Giants pass rush. Leonard Williams. And there it is. A little funny uh, voiceover there at the end. But uh, (laughs) that caught me a little off guard. But, yeah, it's just an overall great job by the Giants defensive front. And, Hank, this led to a fourth and 18 and then, the, the, the defense had to show up for one more play, and that's exactly what they did. They won us another football game. Yes, they did. And when Russell Wilson threw that last pass, I'm like, oh, no, please, somebody defend that ball. Knock it down. Knock it down. Just like LPG was, if you saw his viral reaction to that. And you know what they did? James Bradbury knocked it down. Sealing the deal, the first Giants win, not only was his first ever win against Russell Wilson, this was the first time they won in Seattle since – I believe it was week nine of the 2010 season. That was a massacre, too. 41-7. And fun fact, that game was also the debut of Charlie Whitehurst because Matt Hasselback was injured, if you remember. You would happen to be correct. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But now we, we talk about Leonard Williams, and look, there's no hiding it. 
I mean, he's our Giants player of the week. There, there's no other guy we would have even considered giving it to. Just look at these stats, folks. Uh, the two and a half sacks and the five quarterback hits are key. Uh, and Hank, I liked how you brought up his sacks totaled for over 25 yards in the lost apartment, which is huge. His biggest sack came in the fourth quarter on that third and 10 that we just showed you on the film. Back the Seahawks in a corner and you look at his stats and he's amongst the NFL best in a lot of these categories. Sixth in sacks, which by the way, eight and a half sacks, that's a career high for Leonard Williams. Quarterback hits, that's second in the league and then He's knocked quarterback downs a lot. He gets a lot of pressures. And not only is he pretty good at getting to the quarterback for a guy his size, but he's really good at stopping the run, which that's part of our, uh, that's pretty much our identity on defense. We stop the run, whether it's him, uh, DT, or D Law on that front, BJ Hill, whoever it may be, Hank. And uh, that's why he not only was our player of the week, but was named NFC Defensive Player of the Week. Yeah, it's he's been unreal. And again, you want to know what's also crazy? This was another trade that at the time I was not in favor of just because he was going to be a free agent. You didn't necessarily need to give up the draft capital to get him. But you know what? It's worked out and we'll probably resign him. And without him, I don't know if the Giants are as good, to say the least. Yeah, you know, he's definitely an interesting character, Leonard Williams, because he came in and he was having a down year last year. The move was rejected by a lot of the critics but you know he's still here and he's performing he's our i mean he's been our best i'm gonna go out and say it he's been our best defensive player all year as good as bradbury and blake have been uh, i think leonard williams now having a second year on this team first year in patrick graham's system he's learned it the best most quickly uh the giants defense as a whole had five sacks in this game so the defense now has had two or more sacks in each of their first 12 games that is the longest streak since at least 1963. Wow. Um, yeah, at, at least. That's amazing when you consider the Giants' history and legacy of defense. 100%. Actually, I may be wrong on that. I may be talking like 2011. but um, No, yeah, 2011, because I know that they had they had that stretch where they started to get hot at the right time where they scored like – It was 2011, yes. It was yeah. 2011. And then the Giants have not allowed more than 20 points – in their last three. That's also the first time since 2011. We, You look at our defense, all right? Let, let, let's just go over the, category, uh, the, the categories which in which our defense ranks. We're eighth overall. We're pretty darn good at stopping the run. We're fourth at that. We have the ninth fewest missed tackles, which is big because the Giants missed a lot of tackles last year. We are first in knockdown percentage, so our defensive linemen get their fins up. They do a good job. Sixth in pressure percentage, eighth in sacks, and this is the big one, Hank, third in turnovers created. And that is part of the reason why we've been winning football games. We are causing the opposition to turn the football over. That's been huge. And, you know, it's amazing. The The differential for turnover improved drastically in that four-game stretch. Like, the Giants were trailing in that. And then ever since now, it went from negative five to plus three. Yeah, that's a big turnaround. That's eight points, folks. And. You know, speaking of 2011, I got to tell you, the Giants have now won three straight road games in a single season uh, for the first time since 2011. And the time before that, fun fact, was 2007. Both were Super Bowl seasons. So mm. I'm telling you, there, there's some history being marked in this season that's starting to be compared to those runs. So that, that's just uh, something to keep into the back of your mind. I'm not saying get excited or anything, but 
you know, a playoff push could be on the horizon. And this is the first Giants win against a team with a winning record. And I said it at the beginning of tonight's live stream. This is the best feeling of a win that we've had since Super Bowl 46. That there's no win that's felt better because you don't win in Seattle. It just doesn't yeah. happen. Yeah, no, that's a hard place to play. And yeah, that's probably right. Because when I think the last few wins that come to mind, there was the game against the Bears in 2018, but that was against Chase Daniel. But I, I know they had a good record that year. But And then there was uh, the two games against Dallas. And I'm also forgetting about the Chiefs game in 2017, but they, they were kind of on a little spell there with like, a, what was it, a three and four game losing streak? That's right. We beat them that year. Yeah. Yeah. 12 to nine in overtime. And as I mentioned, those two games against the Cowboys, I mean, look, those were big in 2016. Don't get me wrong, but it's, it's a game against the Cowboys. Like the giants have had many big, big wins against the Cowboys. This against Seattle, Tom, I don't think your point is unrealistic. Like that, that rarely happens. The giants winning in Seattle. It's not, and, even in, even in one of their best seasons of all time, they had a loss in Seattle, 1986, fun fact. Yep, you, you're correct. And that was the 14-2 and two year, I'm pretty sure. So Again, you're was, correct. Yep. Let's talk about the offensive line and, and um, the rookie class as a whole. I know we talked about the line earlier with Skinner, but we're going to just quickly, uh, quickly brush over it again. Since week nine, Andrew Thomas has surrendered just four pressures, no sacks, and no quarterback hits he has been absolutely outstanding and i look at this team right now hank and we have a good problem on this offensive line matt pert mm-hmm. only given up four pre- four pressures on 63 pass blocking snaps when he's came in the, to the game he's been really good and i love his arms man 37 inch arms you love to see that another rookie we got to talk about his Darnay Holmes. Yes, he does get penalized a lot at times, but he had that key interception. Lemieux, his last two outings, has only given up one quarterback pressure, as seen on the graphic earlier in the show. Carter Coughlin. We're going to spend a minute on Carter Coughlin, Hank. Heading into his senior year at Minnesota, Carter Coughlin was a top 50 prospect in the NFL draft. I don't know if you guys knew that. And you have a comment from your buddy Jeremy in the live stream saying hello. Shout out to Jeremy. Thank you very much for joining us. And, you know, I've got to tell you, (laughs) it was kind of an afterthought because he had a bad senior year. It was regarded as um, not the best year. He was a top 50 guy. I think he uses hands very well at the point of attack and six pressures on just 37 pass rushing snaps, Hank. Yeah, that's that's amazing. And, you know, like we said, the fact that he's out playing Mayo and Downs, like it shows you it's great to see that that these rookies are all making like at least even a small impact on the Giants. Well, yeah, I was talking about Coughlin, how he's just made the most of his limited time. But, yeah, Tay Crowder, too, 100 percent. I'd prefer him over Mayo and Downs right now. Definitely. Um, Although Mayo, I mean, he seems to be having after effects still from that torn meniscus, which is concerning uh, over a month later. But mm-hmm. uh, you look at the snap percentage these rookies played. Cam Brown only played 14% of the snaps. Why was that? Because Carter Coughlin was great. Carter Coughlin played 62% of the snaps on defense. Darnay Holmes, 78%. Now, I know Seattle likes to throw a lot, but he was out there often. These rookies were a big part in this win. Take Crowder. 
54%. Nico Lelos, 36%. And um, let's get to Jeremy's comment. Coughlin and Crowder have done more than we could ask for. And if you told me Fackrell and Zoe Carter would be out and the pass rush would be good, I'd call you crazy. Thoughts Jeremy, that? that's a really good point. I completely agree with that. Really good point. Because Fackrell, you know, early in the season, we were talking about him as one of the underrated players on defense too, especially with that big fumble cover against Dallas. And like we said, the fact that all the, that you have these rookies contributing, it tells you something, not, not just about how good draft that Dave Gettleman's had. It also shows you that Patrick Graham, like I said at the beginning of the show, someone mentioned the guy is a borderline genius and mm-hmm. you can't really dispute that. Borderline? You sure? I don't know. I think he is. I mean, dude, he's, he, he's probably going to be here only for like another year max before he becomes a head coach. I know. I know. That's just scary. This is like the beginning of Spags all over again, but definitely um, I think Graham might even be better than Spags, quite frankly, but until uh, I will tell, but we'll see. I hope you're right though. Spags also had a lot of talent to work with. Graham doesn't have nearly as much talent as Spags had. Um, that's another point to consider. True. Um, But let's get to the NFC East. Until this week, this division was 0-17 against winning teams this year. Well, that changed. The Giants won, and then Washington, who a lot of Washington fans are saying they stole our thunder. I mean, I don't think so. Just because as good as their win was against an undefeated Pittsburgh team, you don't come out of Seattle victorious on the road with a backup quarterback. If we had Daniel Jones, I would say, okay, I'll give it to you. But we, we beat the Seahawks. We clipped some wings, folks, with Colt McCoy, <laughs> with Daniel Colt McCoy. We clipped their wings. The Washington football team beat Pittsburgh. I think people knew they were going to be in that football game. A lot of people knew the Giants would be in this football game as well, but if you folks are watching right now, did you really think the Giants were going to win before Sunday's game? I know one person that was confident that the Giants were going to win. One person, that's it. Yeah, shout out Gabe Flayton if you're watching this. Yep, Gabe is a, is a <laughs> genius, man, winning those quick picks every week. Uh, trust them in the pick em, folks. But anyway, Hank, this division seems to be becoming slowly but surely more respectable. And now with Minnesota and Arizona both in there with six and six records, there's a possibility that two NFC East teams can get in. This is a typical 2020 thing to happen and despite that washington upset we still sit atop the division in first place i think we still have the edge over washington regardless of what their schedule looks like there's a good chance the panthers will have christian mccaffrey back whether it's this week or next week when they play them they're gonna have to find an answer for him i know they're gonna play philadelphia again their schedule look yeah it's somewhat favorable but have the Giants given us any reason to doubt them over the past few weeks? No, because we're 4-0. I mean, we've won five out of our last seven games, if you think about it. So, Hank, now I, I ask you this. Joe Judge, he was criticized for firing a coach in season who sucked, practicing in the rain, using tennis balls and coverage drills, And then it came to the point where we had to watch this abysmal comment by Stephen A. Smith. Based on what we have seen thus far, y'all, if Joe Judge was the coach of the Los Angeles Chargers, they'd be Super Bowl contenders. 
you got to be kidding me, right? He's basically saying the Chargers are better. The, the three and nine Chargers are a better football team than the five and seven Giants. So that's basically what I'm taking from that. Now, is he trying to say something else? Probably. But I don't think there's much of a difference between the Chargers and the Giants. A defense that's banged up, an offensive line that's not nearly as good. But that Joe Judge is a genius. That he's the next thing, best thing since sliced bread. And I remember the day Joe Judge got hired. He was the first one to stick his nose where it didn't belong and said, this is a terrible hire. It's not going to work. And now here we are. Well, let me just say, Stephen A. has made many a cold take on that show. So, folks, if you're watching this, I just want to warn you, don't always trust him. But any, in any event, yeah, you're right. Joe Judge has been nothing short of incredible. And I get why some like were kind of against the hire in the first place. I mean, after all, it was a special teams coach. On the surface, that, that does seem pretty unorthodox. But, but when you really think about it, special teams coaches work with pretty much a lot of players. And yeah. And I, I think that was actually a kind of a big deal when the Giants were going into the hiring process with him. And you know what? I'll say this. The fact that he's been able to learn a lot of lessons under two legendary coaches, that's huge, too. And you can see, I've, I've stressed it time and time again on this show. He doesn't try to be Belichick and Saban. He tries to be himself while learning the lessons that they taught him along the way. You couldn't have put that better. Um this is the first football team to start one and seven and win four straight since the 2004 Panthers. That's something to keep in the back of your head, folks. This has been a while since this has happened. The O-line continues to grow. The young guys are getting reps. Seattle only had two sacks, and they're running pretty well through the trenches. Uh, defensively, everyone contributed. Like I said, we won the turnover battle. That was big. Uh, Seattle did win time of possession by 22 seconds. But each team had six penalties. And to be honest with you, it wasn't just a lucky win where Seattle made a couple of you know mistakes that could easily be fixed. The, folks, the New York football giants were the better team. They were the better team. And yeah. you can take that as you may. You can take what you want from that statement. But the Giants are a better football team than the Seattle Seahawks. You know, I want to say point of the season we are, you know, yeah. To expand on your point, when I look at the difference between the Washington game and the giant game, Pittsburgh, like not to take any credit away from Washington because they, they had a great comeback and obviously we know what they're capable of doing. Pittsburgh blew that game. Like, let's not kid ourselves. I know, like I said, Washington, give him credit for the comeback. Give Alex Smith credit for like all he's been through the past few years. That was a winnable game for Pittsburgh. You can't tell me otherwise. But the Giants, on the other hand, Seattle looked absolutely mind-blown. And you look at the faces of Russell Wilson and Pete Carroll, that looks pretty legit. I didn't know what hit him. Yeah, exactly. That wasn't a team that played down to their competition. No, it wasn't. And you've seen that from a team like Pittsburgh a lot this year. But back to the Giants, Hank, this late run in the 2020 campaign, it has the feeling of some Jim Fossil seasons. You you may know what I'm referring to. 
Uh, this was this was one of the most guttiest wins by this football team. This is our team, and very reminiscent of the 1997 year where we had a playoff drought, and we finally made the playoffs in 97 with Fossil, his first year as our head coach, and then 2000, a team that got hot late. It gelled. I believe we were 7-4 and four and then won our last five. Uh, we took control of the division out of nowhere both those years. Joe Judge is building a culture here, and thanks to that, the Giants now control their own destiny. I'm going to throw 1998 in there, by the way, because I know even though they didn't make the playoffs, that was similar in that they were also 3-7, and seven, but they finished 8-8, eight and eight, and highlight into that streak was they they beat the undefeated Broncos with the late Kent Graham to Amani Toomer touchdown. The well-dressed Amani Toomer. He doesn't yes. score if he's not well dressed. Remember that. Yes, thank you, Chris Berman. <laughs> no problem. Anytime. Uh, no, just kidding. So, let's get to the Cardinals game. We talked about it briefly with Bobby when he was on, but we're going to give our takes on it now. Arizona has lost four out of their last five since starting five and two. They're currently on a three-game skid. They lost to the Rams by 10 on Sunday. Kyler Murray, though, has not been playing at full health. There's rumors he has an AC joint injury. And Larry Fitzgerald uh, was activated earlier this week. He has a chance to play against the Giants. He's missed the last few games. He does not have a touchdown this year. As it stands, the Cardinals are in danger of missing the postseason. Minnesota leapfrogged them for the seventh seed. And, Hank, last year the Cardinals and the Giants did play. Danny Jones and the Giants lost to them 27 to 21. Jones wasn't bad in the game, but he did have three turnovers, which, you know, was never a good thing. And he was sacked eight times outside of that. I mean, his numbers were okay, but you want to hope that we don't see three turnovers and eight sacks again against our quarterback. Yeah, no ball security is very important. And, Look, I know winning against Seattle is big, but let's. But even though Arizona has been on a bit of a losing streak, let's not count them out. That's still kind of a dangerous team. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna kid myself here when I say this. You know, it's interesting you bring that up because a lot of people are arguing that Arizona should be under 500 right now. You take the Hale Murray out of it, no pun intended, uh, and then you take the Seattle game away where they made a nice comeback and that one went into overtime. Right now, Arizona's four and eight if they lose those two games. They got very lucky in those two games. So realistically, I'm confident as a Giants fan, we're going to win this football game, folks. This is basically Russell Wilson and the Seahawks to a lesser degree. Their defense is slightly better. Yes, the Seahawks were just an overall bad defense. Arizona's not. I understand that. Mm -hmm. But... Bobby Skinner brought it up on this show earlier tonight, folks, from the Talking Giants podcast. If you take DeAndre Hopkins away from Kyler Murray, which is very likely with James Bradbury on him, my only concern is that Bradbury has a tendency to not travel with the top receivers. He will stay on that boundary and not travel with those receivers. That is where you're asking for a little bit of trouble because if you get Hopkins against the rookie, Darnay Holmes or Isaac Yottam, then you have some problems. I want to make sure Bradbury or Logan Ryan is on that man at all times. Then I think for sure we're going to win this game because Joe Judge, quite frankly, he's been amazing against mobile quarterbacks this year. You look at the teams the Giants have lost to and the quarterbacks that they've had. 
Ben Roethlisberger in week one, Mitch Trubisky in week two, Nick Mullins in week three, Jared Goff in week four. The list goes on. We lost to Alex Smith once, and then we lost to Dak Prescott slash Andy Dalton. Wait, 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 wait. When did we lose to Alex Smith? Sorry, take Alex Smith out of it. I meant Carson Wentz the first game. There we go. None of those players are huge threats to run. Majority of those players are pocket-passing quarterbacks. The mobile quarterbacks that we've gone up against, we've won. We beat Russell Wilson. That's a huge win for this football team. Yeah, and that's crazy because I remember during some years of the Coughlin era, the Giants used to struggle with that, so that's huge. No, 100%. They used to struggle with it. Let's talk about this all the time like that. Yep. And these two teams historically are familiar with each other. At least the organizations are. Both teams used to play in the NFC East until 2002. The Giants lead the all-time series 80-45-2. The Giants are 24-13 and against the Cardinals since they moved to Arizona. However, the Cardinals are 6-3 and since leaving the NFC East and switching to the NFC West. Um, the Giants' last win against the Cardinals, and this is crazy to even think about, was the Victor Cruz game, the Week 4 game in 2011, 31-27. It was a comeback battle in the desert. It was a controversial moment where a fumble was not called. We haven't beaten the Cardinals in a regular season game in nine years. Really? I, I Hank, I actually didn't know that. That's a genuine question. I had no idea. Yeah, no, it's true. I... For some reason, I thought maybe they did because usually when you think of the Cardinals, you think of them as like one of the teams with like the most, the biggest history of losing, basically. And the yeah. fact that the Giants have struggled against them, yeah, it's, I feel like it's, that's something that's very easy to gloss over. And not only that, but the last time they won a game at home, that was the home opener of the 2005 season, the one where Eli had a pretty good game and you had a punt return and a kick return from, uh, Chad Morton and Willie Ponder. Crazy. And, and that was at the old Giants Stadium, of course. The last time that the Cardinals lost in MetLife. In fact, the only time the Cardinals lost in MetLife, that was the game you might remember. A week after the butt fumble, Mark Sanchez was having a horrible game. He was hearing yeah. the boo birds from Jet fans. He got benched. And what does Greg McElroy do? He leads them on that touchdown drive to win the game for them. Seven to six. Yep. Folks, remember, if you have any questions or comments, feel free to drop them for us. We'll be happy to answer them. We've been following the team very closely throughout the week. We just talked with Bobby Skinner from the Talking Giants podcast. We had him on for the first 45 minutes of the show. We're going two hours tonight, so we'll be on until 7.30, taking your questions and comments. So feel free to shoot in the comments section. Uh, Hank, you're right. I mean, this is crazy to even process. And... I mean, my first question is, I mean, again, we don't know for sure if Daniel Jones is going to play Sunday, but he was a limited participant in yesterday's practice and today's practice, much closer to full. And PFF-wise, he's doing pretty well. 80.4 pro football focus grade. That is 11th among quarterbacks in the NFL. Um, look, I'm not saying he's the 11th best quarterback in the league, but those numbers don't lie. He's been pretty efficient as of late. Uh, right now, if you had to give like a general idea, what percentage on a scale of one to 10 would you say he has to play on Sunday? I'm going to say around maybe ballpark range six to eight. I feel like there might be a chance that maybe they decide to be precautionary because 
like we said in last week's episode, hamstring injuries are tricky. If you re-aggravate that thing, it gets a lot worse. But the way I see it, Daniel Jones says he's feeling a lot better, and I would not be shocked at all if he plays this week. I would agree. I say about 8.5, and that 1.5 I'm leaving off is just because of what you just said. Mm-hmm. Uh, hamstring injuries are tricky. We're not sure what he's going to come out and be like. Uh, and the fact that Colt McCoy beat a Seattle team on the road last week, what makes you think they can't beat an Arizona team at home with him at quarterback? Mm-hmm. But let's get to a question from my good friend, Kevin. Kevin asks, the Giants defense played fantastic against the Seahawks. My question is, can the defense do the same against both Murray and Hopkins? So, Hank, we, we, we can both take this one, but I just want to say that, um, Kevin, I think Bradbury, so it all depends on what the defensive scheme is. I think Bradbury is going to be lined up against DeAndre Hopkins a lot in this game and is going to take him away. However, as I mentioned about 10 minutes ago, Bradbury does not travel a lot. He does not travel with the number one corner. So what that does is sometimes that gives Hopkins the advantage on the matchup or not just Hopkins because we haven't faced him yet, but the number one receiver on the opposition. He gets the favorable matchup, and that's where they start to take advantage. If you move the receiver around the formation, Bradbury may stay towards that boundary. So I think that, yes, Kevin, the Giants will contain DeAndre Hopkins. I say he has less than 75 receiving yards. I say he falls within that 50 to 60 receiving yard range. I think Kyler Murray is going to have a turnover or two in this game. He is playing hurt. I think this defense is going to sack him at least three times. Yeah, I can I can definitely see that. I, I I would not be surprised if Patrick Graham comes up with another incredible defensive scheme. And yeah, it's it's a, it's very similar the, when you look at the giant. The, sorry, the Seahawks and the Cardinals. Rather, they have they both have mobile quarterbacks with good arms. And DeAndre Hopkins is, is going to be another challenge. But I don't I don't see how I think they can definitely defend him without a doubt. It's a good question, Kevin. Keep them coming, folks. Keep them coming. We're here for the next 32 minutes. So, update on the health of Blake Martinez. As you know, he had a lower back injury in Sunday's football game, and he did not return. That meant undrafted rookie free agent Tate Crowder had to step up in his place. So, uh, with that being said, I think Blake's going to play. Yeah. I'll be honest. I think both Blake and DJ are going to play. Uh, they're not, both of them are not going to be a hundred percent, but I think Blake is closer to it. I don't think it was a serious injury. Uh, I think he's to be honest with you and call me crazy for saying this. I think he's more important to be active on Sunday than Jones is because the defense has been winning his football games and you need a signal caller in there. If Logan Ryan's going to be the signal caller on Sunday, I'm not sure I'm a hundred percent comfortable with that. You know, that's an interesting comment, and I don't necessarily disagree with that. I think Blake Martinez is a very, is pretty much an important defen- defensive player for this game, and you're going to need a linebacker like that too. So, yeah, I think that's a great point. And no Blackburn. No. Oh, no. We, we, don't, we don't have him, so we don't have that, like, quality, reliable serve anymore. Let's find another substitute teacher somewhere. And remember, we start two linebackers inside now. So it's going to be Crowder and Mayo. Although with Graham, it's like it doesn't matter. With Graham and Judge, you just mix and match. 
And that's what makes the defense so special, folks, is that you utilize the defense's strengths. So if let's just pick a guy and say, uh, you know, who's the first guy that comes to mind? Carter Coughlin, right? He's good at pass rushing. You bring him in for the pass rushing downs. You take him out when you project that the opposition is going to run the football. And that's why this defense has been really good lately. Some transactions that have been taking place over the last couple of days. The Giants sign former Vikings quarterback Joe Webb to the practice squad. They still have Alex Tanney on there as well. But Joe Webb is a guy he can catch. He can play a little wide receiver. He can play a little quarterback. And fun fact, he actually he started a playoff game for the Minnesota Vikings. I mean, you remember that uh, Gabe brought it up on the North Pole last night, folks. Uh, the playoff game against the Green Bay Packers where Webb was starting. He uh, he's an interesting journeyman quarterback who's somehow still in this league. So that was the game Christian Ponder got hurt, I think. Right. Yes, it was. It was credit to him. And then this move uh, was transacted by Nico Lelos being promoted to the 53 man roster. They elevated him twice from the practice squad. So the Giants had to make a move on him. Otherwise, we would not be able to retain him. Nico and you know Nico Lelos is very important to this team now, especially with Zimenez and Carter out for the year and Fackrell out for another two weeks. Kevin says, "Let's hope Martinez plays." I like Ryan; he has that veteran presence. But in terms, okay, I don't think he's finished with that comment. But in terms of leadership, let's hope Martinez is on the field Sunday. Yes, I I agree, and also Kevin. Um, I'm really looking forward to that Giants-Browns game on Sunday Night Football next weekend. That should be a fun Sunday Night Football game. I'm really looking forward to that. I know uh, Kevin also likes the Browns, so he, um, you know, he's going to have to he's going to have to root against them on Sunday. So we will see how uh, the Giants go up against Baker Mayfield. But anyway. The Giants waived veteran Trent Harris, and he, he's expected to resign to the practice squad if he clears waivers. And then the sad news of the week is that mm-hmm. former, Hank, former Giants head coach Ray Perkins. Yes, he uh, passed away at the age of uh, 79. I believe he was dealing with a heart condition, which at, at that age, that's not very, that's not really easy to deal with. And I'll tell you something about Ray Perkins. He was hired at a time where the Giants were in their own losing streak of, of years where they didn't make the playoffs, 1979. They had gone, I believe, at that point, 15 years. And a couple years later, they would make the playoffs. 1981, they were 9-7. and seven. And by the way, I know I said in that, in the Jim Foss comparison, that those had another feel for uh, 2020. 1981, you can also make that argument with similar because this is another team that's, like, trying to change the culture. And even though obviously Ray Perkins didn't really stick along for the glory years of the Super Bowls with like Bill Par- that Bill Parcells inherited. Like, I think he was a coach that really got the ball rolling. He was one of those guys that really didn't make the culture fun to lose. And you know, e- even though he wasn't there long, and even though he's not really a coach that you rank high among giants greats, he, he still had, had a pretty small, if not significant t- um, impact in giants history. So yeah, he definitely is one of the more underrated coaches the Giants had, I would say. Yeah, he laid out a formula uh, that turned into and a recipe for I also want to add that he had some pretty good assistants on that team, too, in 81. You had, obviously, the future coach, Bill Parcells, and then another guy that, obviously, everyone's heard of, Bill Belichick. We all know him, all right. Yeah. Um, 
So let's get to our keys of the game or keys to the game. So um, we have to win the trenches. We talked about this earlier with Bobby Skinner of the Talking Giants podcast. Andrew Thomas is going to be going up against our old friend Marcus Golden, who was traded to the Cardinals earlier this year after seven games for a sixth-round pick. Uh, yeah, it's going to be crazy, and we have to contain Kyler Murray as, as well. Uh, that's going to be key. The Cardinals have the sixth-ranked offense in football, fourth-best rushing attack. This is going to be a challenge similar to last week. We have to use our disguise blitz packages, mm-hmm. Murray scrambling lanes and hang. I mean, I think we could do that just fine. Yeah, I agree. Definitely. We already talked about the Bradbury versus D-Hop matchup. That's going to be interesting. Winning the turnover battle, that's key. Uh-huh. Uh, well, we won it against Seattle. We won the football game, so that's all you have to know there. And, uh, Hank, your favorite key to the game is? Get off the field on third down. I cannot stress it enough. Yeah, and the Seahawks were only 30% on third down last week. I mean, we were only 25, but our defense did a good job of getting – Seattle off the field. And Kevin, another comment. Thank you very much, Kevin. It's crazy how the Giants and the Vikings are now in the playoff race. I wonder if the Giants would play the Vikings in the wild card. What do you both think? So, uh, Kevin, in order for that to happen, the Vikings would probably have to get the five seed because the Giants will only get in with a division title. So for Minnesota to jump, they would have to jump trying to think they have to jump tampa bay and then seattle seattle's eight and four tampa seven and five minnesota six and six minnesota has to play tampa this weekend so if minnesota beats tampa then we could have this potential discussion uh right now i think the vikings have to just focus on getting in they play the bears i believe and they play the lions tampa and then I'm trying to remember who their fourth game is against. I don't have it on the top of my head, but it might be the Saints. Yeah, it is the Saints. So I think they're going two and two. I think they're losing to the Bucs and the Saints. They'll beat the Lions and the Bears eight and eight, seven seed. So I don't see it happening, Kevin, but that, w- that would definitely be a fun matchup to watch. Remember what happened the last time the Giants and Vikings met in a playoff game? It did not end very well for uh the nordics up in minnesota so just had to throw that tidbit in there and um that being said hank let's get to our players to watch for the giants this week i like to call them the bad news bears (laughs) i love that take us through through. obviously we can't mention this guy enough leonard williams who yeah mvp of this defense by far Three tackles, two and a half sacks, and five hits against Seattle. 8.5 sacks, which leads the team. 39 tacker, tackles, 24 QB hits, and defensive player in the, of the week, and rightfully so. He's been phenomenal. And then we get to the second guy, Bradbury Bunker. Seven tackles, two passes deflective, and a forced fumble against Seattle. Five solo. 40 tackles and three picks. And he, he has a 75.3 and 74 uh uh, PFF pass coverage grade and a 74.7 defense grade. I think those numbers pretty much reflect how much of a shutdown corner he is. And 
The question is, will he be matched up with DeAndre Hopkins? You would probably have to thank the yes, considering how well he has contained all the other star receivers in this league. And then we get to one of the unsung heroes, safety, Jabril Peppers, five tackles, one sack, and two passes deflecting in Seattle. 61 tackles and three QB hits and a pick also. 79.9 pass rush grade. That's second among safeties. He's been... He's been great. Good. <laughs> By the way, your friendly neighborhood reminder that the Giants won that Odell Beckham trade. Yes. Yes, we did. Uh, thank you for that comment. And Peppers has been very impressive as of late. So I had to throw him in there this week and mm-hmm. those three on defense. But uh, two we didn't include in the graphic have to talk about on offense are Wayne Gallman and Evan Ingram. Gallman coming off his career best, 135 rushing yards and mm-hmm. – Ingram last week was our leading receiver, despite only having four receptions, 432. I think both of them are going to be key in this game. Arizona's defense has, you know, they have a couple good linebackers in Hassan Reddick and um, Devon Kennard, former Giant. So it's going to be fun to watch. We'll see how Arizona matches up against those players. And Hank, I just... I, I don't know what it is, but I have a gut-wrenching feeling telling me that Evan Ingram is going to make a huge play in this game that makes a huge difference. Because um, lately we haven't been going to Slayton. He'll probably get Patrick Peterson or Drake or Patrick, one of them, and then Shepard will get the other. So then that, that leaves Evan Ingram again over the middle of the field where I think he could take advantage. And I'm saying that giving Arizona's corners a lot of credit. Yeah. Yeah, I could see it. Yeah, so it's, it's, it's going to be fun to watch. And now we get we move into the Arizona Cardinals players to watch. And shocker here, folks. I hope you're not surprised by this, but here they are. Boom. Kyler Murray and DeAndre Hopkins. Uh, yeah, Hopkins, 85 catches, over 1,000 yards already leads the NFL in receiving yards, I believe, and those five touchdown receptions last week had eight catches, 52 yards and a score in two career games against the giants. He's been done pretty well, uh, <laughs> averaging a hundred yards. So, you know, that's been something to watch eighth best offense grade on PFF sixth best in receiving. I predict he's going to have six catches for 64 yards in this game. I think we contain him, but, that's what I mean by containing him. He's still going to make some good catches against us, but he's not going to have any breakout game changer type of plays. Hank, and now we move into Kyler Murray, who 10 picks this year. Yeah, but those 22 touchdowns, 10 on the ground. So 32 combined touchdowns and those 665 rushing yards, they do scare me a little bit. He is the best running quarterback. He is the best running quarterback in the NFL this year, Hank. Yeah, Kyler Murray is somebody you definitely got to watch out for. And he had a pretty good game his last start against the Giants, too. He went 14 for 21 for 104 yards, even though he was sacked twice. And I see you have him throwing 235 passing yards, touchdown and interception, and a couple of rushing yards. And, yeah, I can see that. I have a feeling the Giants can do a good job in uh, containing him and, like, slowing him down. And 235 yards, that's... That's, that's reasonable. I would yeah, say. 
I don't think he's going to have so much success against us. Last year, he had 10 rushes for just 28 yards, and our defense is better this year. So I think Murray is going to be a little more limited, but he may run for more yards because our secondary does a better job at covering. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, he. I mean, he did have that win against us last year, barely threw for over 100. But uh, these are our two main players to watch for Arizona. Murray and Hopkins. Other players to keep an eye on, we did not bring up. Kenyon Drake is an obvious one. He has the eight rushing touchdowns. He's done a really good job for the cards. Christian Kirk leads the team with six touchdown receptions. He's been a big force in the absence of Larry Fitzgerald. And their left tackle is pretty good. Uh, DJ Humphreys, sixth best PFF offensive lineman at his position. And he is the best pass blocking left tackle in football. Fun fact. So, you know, he's a real good player. I'm a little nervous about, you know, getting a pass rush on Kyler Murray. That's going to be key with our limited uh, pass rush. I think Arizona's line is a little bit better than Seattle's, to be fair. Mm -hmm. Uh, Buda Baker, love him as a safety. 94 tackles. That leads the team. Two picks, two sacks. He's a great player. Hassan Reddick is another guy, too. I think it's going to be a big factor for them. Uh, 11 and a half tackles for a loss in addition to those five sacks and Jordan Hicks, who they acquired from Philadelphia, 93 tackles. And as we mentioned, Dre Kirkpatrick, Pat Peterson, each with three picks, man, they're both good. And that leaves one player, Hank. And it, it was a player that uh, you, in fact, wanted to draft. Yes, Isaiah Simmons. And I've always said that the Giants have like needed linebacker help and it makes sense why why I wanted him. He he was a monster coming out of that draft. But again, with that having been said, I kind of figured the route that they were going, and I was not once against the Andrew Thomas pick at all. Fair. That's very fair. And Hank, another theme about this game we didn't bring up, and this is the last thing we'll talk about, folks, before getting to our game predictions, is we have some old friends on this team, and we have quite a few of them. Uh, There's four players of note we're going to talk about, former Giants that are on Arizona, and here are the first two. Justin Pugh and Devon Kennard. Justin Pugh was drafted by us in the first round of 2013. I remember going to his rookie training camp and getting, uh, I believe I got his autograph. He was one of the four that I got. Uh, Played five years for us, 2013 through 2017. He was He's the eighth best pass blocker at the guard slot in the NFL. He's only given up one sack, eight penalties this year. That ties a career high. But, Hank, Justin Pugh was probably the best of the worst on our offensive line back in the mid-2010s. I mean, I think he was a real good player who was plagued by injuries. Yeah, I would happen to agree with that. He was... When healthy, he was pretty decent, but unfortunately he was surrounded by the likes of Eric Flowers and Bobby Hart. Ugh. And he's a Syracuse guy, too. He, so he's from New York. I mean, he's from Pennsylvania, but, you know, close to New York. He wanted to be a giant for life, but, yeah. you know, it doesn't work out for everybody. There's only a few handful of players that can say once a giant, only a giant, you know? That would be this, um, this man in the back, LT. LT. And obviously, my favorite giant of all time. You know who I'm going to say. Eli Manning. Eli Manning. Uh, Amani Toomer. Well-dressed Amani Toomer. That is correct. Straight hand. There's not many. Frank Gifford. What's that? Frank Gifford. 
Yep. Probably the first iconic star the Giants ever had, if you really think about it. Yeah. But let's talk about Devon Kennard, who actually went to my cousin's high school out in Arizona. Uh, played for the Giants for his first four years on his rookie deal. He evolved into a much better player with the Lions. He had seven sacks in each of the last two seasons in Detroit. Still good at stopping the run in his first year as a Cardinal. Uh, only playing 35% of the snaps, though. He has two sacks. And Hank mm-hmm. Kennard was a very pro- uh, promising player, had four and a half sacks as a rookie for us back in 2014. But then his play started to decline. He was another guy who couldn't stay in the lineup. And, you know, it, it just wasn't really worth it to bring him back for another deal. Yeah, but I'm I'm happy for him that he kind of kind of happy for him that he got better after he left even though i I would have loved to see him do better here it's you know it it is what it is love that saying i know we (laughs) it's our favorite so those are the first two uh let's get to the next two so these are two that were not with the team very long they were both around pretty much a year uh one a little more but we have Marcus Golden and Josh Morrow. And before I get to this, I just want to say one thing. Both of these men started their career in Arizona. Then both came to the Giants for a year. Mm -hmm. I know Morrow bounced around on a few other teams, but they went from Arizona to the Giants, and now they're both back in Arizona. How crazy is that? Yeah, that's interesting. So. Some some of these paths that these guys have came to team. You, you just you never know. It's it's interesting. Marcus Golden was traded midseason to Arizona. He had a career high ten sacks for the Giants last year, which led to, led the team. Some argue majority of them were coverage sacks. Remember, he also had that touchdown for us in the New England game. He's going to be matched up against Andrew Thomas on Sunday. Two sacks and a pick in five games for the Cardinals, and then. On the right, we have Josh Morrow, who the one year he played for us, he was suspended the first four games. And I think, right? Yes, PDs and had four starts for us in 2018, had five tackles and one sack this year for Arizona. He has not, he's been used sparingly. Both these guys are older now, they're both around 30. So, you know, they've been around. I don't I think Morrow is still a little younger than Golden, but Golden is around 30. Morrow's about 28, 29. So uh, realistically speaking, I don't think either of these guys are going to play a huge factor. I'm between, I'd say more golden and Kennard are the, are the two guys I'm worried about. As far as getting to DJ, you want to make sure you have the edges sealed, Hank. Yeah, definitely. Hopefully Andrew Thomas will be on his game with block with the blocking, just like the offensive line has been pretty much for the past few games. Let's hope they keep up the good work. I hope they keep up the good work and keep these men, our old teammates, or, yeah, old and, once again, teammates, old Giants players away from our quarterback. So, with that being said, our final segment of the evening, our game predictions. Hank, um, I know you and I spoke about this briefly on our meeting yesterday. um, Yes, we did. Without further ado, I'll let you go first, but I just want to say we are on a four-game winning streak. Please keep that in the back of your head. That's exactly what I have been doing. I, stating the obvious. But. <laughs> um, yeah, no, as far as predictions go, 
I think I went a little too crazy last week. I said 29-25. I don't know why. I think I wanted to be different from you or something, but saying 25 with Colt McCoy, that was dumb thinking on my part, so my bad. Anyways. You're bad. I, I think this will be a little bit less less scoring this week. Actually, no, I take that back. A little, a little bit more scoring. I do have the Giants winning, yes, and I'm going to say by the score of 24-20. I think that's a much more reasonable score than I picked last week. Yeah, and it's in the vicinity of my score range. But, um, look, we held Seattle to 12 points. Yeah. You may call me crazy. I don't see Arizona scoring 20 points. I I really don't. I know they have Hopkins and Murray. Their offense is explosive. But I think the Giants get the 20 points. If DJ plays, I I really do. Um, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to say the Giants win this game 26 to 16. Ooh, I like that. I think the Cardinals score more points than the Seahawks did last week, partly due to the fact that I think they're going to be playing from behind early. And I think they're going to be throwing the ball a lot more than Seattle did in this game. So you have Giants 24 20. I have Giants 26 to 16. Uh, Hank, is there anything you would like to add to the folks here watching? We still have a little bit of time, folks, so if you have any questions or comments for us on this upcoming Giants game between them and the Cardinals, please feel free to comment in the comment section. But, Hank, anything that you would like to add in particular? Uh, Yeah, first of all, I like that score prediction. I, I would not be shocked at all if the Giants held the Cardinals to under 20 points. Second of all, I just want to say, Bobby, if you're still watching this, I want to thank you. Thank you so much for appearing on our stream. Tom and I really appreciate you taking the time out of your day to answer some questions and talk some Giants football with us. And I want to say it's been a lot of fun having these guests on our show over these past few weeks. And and the fact that they've been winning, too, and they're turning things around, it's it's been a great ride. And I, I can't wait to keep watching these games. I want to let the good times roll. That's all I got to say. Let's keep this train going. Keep the Wayne train moving as well. You know, it's a lot more fun when you're winning, folks. So, you know, I think that's always important. It's a lot more fun to talk about teams when you're winning. When we had our first, like, seven or eight shows, we were just talking about the Giants losing week in and week out. And that was kind of brutal. I mean, we had fun with it, but still, it wasn't fun recapping all these Daniel Jones turnovers and all these mishaps on defense. So, although the defense was pretty sturdy throughout majority of the season, it was, and you know what? It's I think the first eight weeks, you know, you probably had that feeling. Oh no, it's another long season again. And if you did feel that way, for anyone watching, hey, I cannot say that I blame you. the The past decade since 2011 hasn't really been fun. I mean, even in 2016, yeah, they made the playoffs, but I'll be the first to tell you that that season was kind of a fluke because you know they couldn't they couldn't even score 30 points in a game, and they barely beat some really inferior opponents and. I think that season, I'll, sorry if I'm going off on a tangent, even then I kind of felt, okay, that's probably Eli Manning's like last best ride. So I, I never really felt hope even in that season. Let's just pin your mom's comment quick. We didn't get to this earlier, but. <laughs> oh, yeah, you know, it's funny. I, he's one of those giants that I haven't really heard of. And I, having looked him up, I think the reason that's the case was he was only on the Giants for two years. And. From what I saw, according to his statistics, he was a pretty decent player in Steve Owen's defense. But 
you know, the fact that Nico Lalos accomplished the same thing that he had, that's, that's wild. It's history. It's a seven-year record. We've had like what six or seven presidents since then. We've had right. We've had what is it? It's been a while. The, been a while. the Giants have played in four stadiums since then, at least. Yep. Let's see. You had Polo Grounds, Yankee Stadium. I'll even count the Yale Bowl and Shea Stadium Yo. and Old Giant Stadium. Yeah, that's six stadiums actually. More than that. Folks uh, and Hank, thank you very much for recapping that for us. And I just want to remember, uh, if you want to subscribe to the Talking Giants podcast, get some stuff from Bobby Skinner and Justin Pennick. Make sure to go check them out at Talking Giants on YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. It airs every Monday, Wednesday, and Fridays. Bobby goes over a lot of film, does a lot of good stuff there. Make sure to go check him out. Hank and I will be back next week, Thursday, around the same time, 7 p.m. start time. Hank, thank you very much for joining me tonight and just want to wish all the folks a good evening and, you know, a great weekend. Let's hope for a Giants win and really looking forward to hopefully next week talking about a fifth straight win. Yeah, no, Tom, thanks again, as always, for having me. And also to all those out there who celebrate, I do want to wish you happy Hanukkah. I know it's the first night. Yeah, that is correct. Holiday season's approaching, folks. Christmas is near just a couple weeks away. So, uh, you know, we wish you all the best. And uh, remember to subscribe, like our podcast here at Review and Preview Sports. On behalf of Hank and Dichter, I'm your host, Tom Scavetta, saying so long. You've been watching Big Blue Avenue here on Facebook Live. Have a good night, everybody.